turn to the book of Ruth. Now, what we are doing on Sunday nights is just going through less than well-known characters in the Bible. And, uh, of course, we've just been using the alphabet as a guide. Started at the guide started at the letter A. We're down to the letter N. And I had to break our rules just a little bit. Not that they're uh, steadfast and unmovable of any kind, but um, being that it was Mother's Day, uh, we're going to talk about Naomi tonight. And uh, she's a little more well-known than many others. Uh, I can bring up one a lady with the letter N uh, that uh, uh, really is not... How many of you know who Nehushta was? Did you know there was such a name in the Bible? How many people know what Nehushta probably means, the name? It comes from Hezekiah. He took the article, the brazen serpent that Moses had made in the wilderness as people were worshiping it as an idol, and he said it's just a piece of brass and destroyed it. And he called it Nehushtan, just a piece of brass. And Nehushta means a piece of brass. And uh, she uh, fit her name very well. She was the wicked wife of Jehoiakim and ended up going into captivity with her son. And uh, it was a mess. Now, we don't need to hear any more about that. Let's talk about something a little more positive. Amen. Even though the story of Naomi has a lot of tragedy involved, uh, we see that God is in the reclaiming business. Amen. Sometimes we get out of the way. Um, I don't know that I like the word backsliding. Uh, of course, I don't like what the word backsliding means. Um, because a lot of people use that as an excuse to pretend they're saved when they're not. A person who is saved can't live backslidden forever. They've got to come back. And uh, so let's not use that as an excuse. Now, Naomi, she did what a lot of people do. She took the easy way out. How many of you have ever tried to do something the easy way? Does it work? There's no such thing as the easy way. Uh, I remember I was a young man and I was going to work on my own car. And so I got a Chilton's book. And it told everything to do. And uh, I opened it up and diagnosed the problem. And there were 35 steps. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm going to start on step 14. Those first few just aren't that important. Uh, can I warn you? Don't do that. Uh, there is no easy way out. What looks easy today, you'll find, is ten times the amount of work tomorrow. Uh, if you want to know one of the reasons why we are doing so much labor and it took us so long is because someone else has already done the easy way two or three times and now we've got to undo the easy way and do it the right way. And so it's going to take some time to finish, but uh, once we do... Uh, we'll do this wall, and we'll do this wall, and then we'll work on the platform, and 
And uh, once all the floors and walls are done, then we'll, Lord willing, uh, this is my prayer, and you pray with me, uh, for Christmas we'll order new carpet and uh, we'll be done. Uh, That would be the most uh, wonderful thing if we could finish this by the end of the year. And so let's uh, pray and let's do it the right way. But here's what happened. Let's look at verse 1 of the book of Ruth. Now, how many of you have just read the book of Ruth in your daily Bible reading? Okay, good. Now you'll be all ready for the story. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, there is a whole several sermons right there in that first verse, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, the book of Judges gives us a summary of one of the darkest periods of the history of the people of Israel. In fact, if you'll just back up one verse in my Bible, it's both on the same page. The last verse of the book of Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was wrong in his own eyes. Is that what your Bible says? Uh, Can I warn you about something? No one in their right mind sets out to purposefully do wrong. Everybody is trying to do right. And I'm talking about people like John Gotti. Everybody tries to do right. They just think that they're going to get a little more right done if they do a few wrong things first. This is the answer here. You cannot allow your eyes to judge the difference between right and wrong. God has already set up the standard between what is right and wrong. It's what's called The Bible. Amen. God in His laws has established what is right and wrong. If you're going to do what is right in God's eyes, you're just going to obey the Bible. If you're going to do what's right in your own eyes, I'm promising you, I can guarantee you will find yourself at odds or in direct opposition to God. Because your eyes and your perception is not qualified to determine the difference between right and wrong. And that's what happened in Naomi and Elimelech's life. The best that we can tell, though the Bible is not clear and we're not going to be dogmatic, our best guess is that Naomi and her family lived during the days of Gideon. Now, how many of you remember the story of Gideon from the book of Judges? We are introduced to Gideon... He is threshing wheat at the wine press. And you say, why is that such an unusual thing? Well, the wine press was for making grape juice. It was not the time of the harvest of grapes. It was the time of the harvest of wheat. And Gideon was trying to hide his scant resources from the roving bands of the Midianites that just rode through the countryside whenever they saw anything that was good for the children of Israel, they either stole it or destroyed it, one of the two. Now, imagine life without grocery stores. You had to grow your own food in the field. 
And just the time that you were ready to harvest it, in come a band of mercenaries and burn your field to the ground. We're talking about starvation. We're talking about being hungry every day. The word famine just simply means there was no food being produced. And again, the best we can guess is the reason for that famine famine was these roving bands of Midianites. Now, we do not know who the causative agent, who the main person uh, determining this move was, whether it was Elimelech or whether it was Naomi or whether it was just an agreement between the two. But you can see, uh, even though it's not spelled out in the Scriptures, the exact same excuses we hear today. Well, listen, I've, I've got to provide for my family. I can't be in church like I should. Um, well, wait a minute. I mean, there. Uh, if I stay here, I, I've had people tell me. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether they're trying to insult me or not or whether they just have no clue what they're saying. But I've had several people over the years look at me and say, you cannot raise a family in New York City. I said, excuse me? I said, I think you're talking to the wrong guy. You say, you just can't. And then they move. Whatever the reasons, Naomi and Elimelech said, God has put us here in the land of Canaan, but things are very difficult. You know what? It is more difficult to affect the area around you and people's hearts to start following God. Read through the book of Judges. What happens? The people fell into idolatry, into sin, into rebellion against God. Then came the famine, the slavery, the heartache, all of the problems. And when... They cried out to God again. God sent them a deliverer. It's a whole lot more difficult to pray until God sends you the deliverer than it is just to move to where life seems like it's going to be easier. Now, the reason why I said seems like is because you read the story of Ruth and life was not easier in the land of Moab, was it? They got there. And it wasn't that awful long that Elimelech dies. And then uh, they dwelled there another ten years. And uh, Naomi's sons, Maon and Chilion, take them wives of the women of Moab. And they stay there another ten years. And Malon and Chilion die. Now it's just Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. And you say, who's Orpah? Well, the reason you never heard of Orpah, unless you've read your Bible very thoroughly, is because Naomi was in such a godless, backslidden state that she told her daughters-in-law, I'm going back to the land of Israel You go back to your people and your gods. That's some of the most amazing verses in the Bible to me. How could Naomi, who knew the difference between truth and righteousness, tell her daughters to go back and partake in 
one of the most debauched, wicked religions ever perpetrated upon mankind. Moab, uh, the Moabites were the worshippers of a god whose name was Chemosh. Chemosh was nothing more than a brass furnace. That was how he was depicted. He was made out of brass. He was hollow in the middle. He had an arms that came out like a scoop. And they would build a fire inside uh, that brass uh, imit- uh, that brass god is what he was. And the main ritual for Chemosh was human sacrifice. How could someone who believed in God say, go back to your people and your gods? Yet we have Naomi doing that. You see, Naomi had given up on God and she just took it for granted that God had given up on her. I'm here to tell you God never gives up. Amen? Even when we forget about Him, what does it say in the book of Timothy? If we believe not, He abideth faithful, He cannot deny His own. I'm glad I serve a God that never gives up. Amen? This is the story of Naomi. She wanted her daughters to return, and and something had happened in the life of Ruth. She said, and, and I don't understand why people do this, but they like to read these verses at a wedding. In verse 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. Where thou diest, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part between thee and me. Now here's the context of these verses. Ruth is is being told by her mother-in-law, "Go back to your God. Leave me alone." Uh, I've messed up your life enough. My life is totally gone. Just leave me alone. Now, young ladies, if your groom is telling you to leave him alone, do it. Don't get married to the dude, all right? Uh, The context of these verses don't belong in a wedding. Look at verse 18. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking, left off speaking unto her. Naomi didn't have anything to say to Ruth. Once Ruth decided she was going to go, Naomi, of course, she knew that it was going to be difficult for Ruth being a Moabite in the land of Israel. But now that Ruth had made up her mind, okay, now I'm saddled with another problem. And when Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, her city. Look what it says. Verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Call me not pleasant. That's what Naomi means. Pleasantness. Call me Mara. Or bitterness. Now here's why. 
for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. God has punished me. He's made my life bitter. It's all God's fault that I look the way I do and that I am such a miserable person. You ever met anybody blame God for all their problems? Let me tell you something. It's not his fault. If Naomi had listened to what the Bible clearly said, she would have never left the land of Israel to start with. She was to stay there. She took what she thought was the easy way out. She had separated herself from the love of God so far that she even thought it was prudent for her daughters-in-law to go back and worship the false gods and participate in the hideous practices that the Moabites called worship. She could not see that any of God's blessings were left for her. In fact, it was Ruth that goes to her mother-in-law in verse 2 and says, Let me now go, unto the, go to the field and glean ears of corn. After him in his sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Naomi wasn't even doing anything to provide food or shelter for them whatsoever. She was just sitting there stewing you know, bitterness can wrap you with chains that cannot be broken with anything known to mankind. Only the love of God breaks the chains of bitterness. And one of the most wonderful things about the story of Naomi is we see God doing that very thing, don't we? Finally, after Boaz shows some concern and care, not because... He had any hopes or ambitions or anything like this, but Naomi was one of his uh, one of his family, and he wanted to do nice things for her. And when he found out that Ruth was gleaning in the fields, he made sure that Ruth had extra. In fact, if you read the passage there, uh, when Ruth comes home, he says, "Who took notice of you, Ruth? Where in the world did you go that you were able to glean so much food?" And she warned Ruth to stay and obey the counsel that Boaz had given. Now we get to chapter 3 and we see the heart of Naomi beginning to awaken. Now you have to remember that Ruth was going out in the field six days a week, Sunday through Friday, working and laboring to bring food in. Um, just to give you an idea, how long does a five-pound sack of flour last you? you? Say, well, I don't bake; it lasts forever. Well, just think if you all of your food, all of your bread came out of that five-pound sack of flour, it wouldn't last very long, now would it? Do you know how big a bag of grain it takes to make a five-pound sack of flour? It takes a big sack of grain to grind up into flour. The finer you grind the flour, the bigger the sack of grain it is to make it. Try to gather enough food. Just think about this. 
enough wheat to make flour for a year for your family. I don't want to think about that for my family. That would be phenomenal. They took several years ago, they did something. I I don't know if it's on TV. I didn't see it. I just heard about it. But they took a couple of families and they put them in the wilderness and they said, we want you to lay in supplies for the winter. And when they got done and they thought they had enough wood chopped for the fireplace and enough meat put up and crops raised and everything, they told them all, Listen, if you actually had to depend on this to get through the winter, you'd all starve to death, every one of you. No one even came close to what it's going to take just for survival. And it's unimaginable to us today. We think that we have a hard time when the store, grocery store closes at 11 and we want to go at 11.15 to pick up a few things. Uh, that is not difficulty, my friends. I want you to know that Ruth was laboring six days a week for months and months while Naomi was just sitting at home staring at the wall. It was Ruth's continual love and devotion that began to thaw out Naomi's heart. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Naomi said to her mother, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? She said, Ruth, you don't know anything about the laws of our land. Now, why didn't Ruth know about all the laws of God? Because Naomi hadn't told her. (laughs) Why hadn't Naomi told her? Because Naomi was too lost in her own bitterness to care. She thought there was no more blessings of God for her. Make a long story short. Naomi begins to give Ruth the instructions and the direction to fulfill the laws of God. And we have a man named Boaz. Does anybody remember who Boaz's mother was? You remember? Yeah, I don't think you remember. Boy, that hand went up. I thought, wow, if Philip remembers, there's no excuse for anybody. Does anybody remember? Okay, Ruthie. That's right, Rahab the harlot from the city of Jericho was Boaz's mother. And Boaz married Ruth in fulfillment of what they call the Lephrovite law or the law of the brother to raise up seed to the deceased. And Ruth and Boaz have a son. His name was Obed. And we find that Naomi, verse 15, the people said, And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. Go down to verse 21. And Salmon begat Boaz. Salmon was the one that married Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. God took one person and gives us a beautiful, beautiful picture of his redemption. Amen. She thought she was going to take the easy way out. Twenty-some years later, she comes back empty and bitter. But before it's all done... 
God has restored his blessings because the blessings come from God, not from us. Amen? And God's hand is seen in the life of Naomi. Now, I know she's a much better known figure than some of the others, but I didn't want to spend the whole night on the hushta, all right? Uh, And so we'll just keep moving through until we run out of names here. But uh, let's just have a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would challenge us with these things out of the life of Naomi. Lord, we're just human beings. We do not know what's going on in the heart of another. And Lord, it's easy to allow that bitterness to take root and just move away from the things of God. And we just pray that that would not be true of anyone here. Lord, we pray that you would challenge us to be like Ruth, that continual uh, love that she showed toward Naomi was what opened the door for the greatest blessings in Ruth's life. Lord, we ask that you would make us like Ruth, that we would just love, that we would not be looking for some reward or some Uh, retribution uh, of our love, but we would just love simply and cleanly out of your word. We ask you to work in our lives that we may be a testimony of the love of God to the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer,